Father, we come right into your presence, full of boldness and joy, rejoicing in what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done for us, that you have washed us clean of every sin, you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, uh, not because we earned it, but because you are so good and kind uh, that you would adopt us as your children, placing your own spirit into us. And Father, we rejoice and we, we love to be called your children. I pray that there would be a, uh, uh, that you would reach into our heart and, and uh, bring healing and, and real joy in, back into our hearts. Maybe we've grown a little bit um, calloused. Maybe we've grown, uh, maybe we've just lost our way a little bit. Uh, Jesus, we want to be refocused uh, according to your word and according to the wonderful, glorious gospel that makes us right and, and gives us all that we need uh, in this life. Jesus, you are all that we need. Jesus, you uh, do everything for us by your grace, and we uh, simply love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Is God calling me? Some, someone who asks that question is obviously sensitive to God's Spirit. Someone who is sensitive to God's Spirit will often ask, is God calling me? Is God calling me? That is a great question. And if you have asked that question, it probably means a couple things about you. Is God calling me? It means, number one, that you want to know God's will. And that is amazing. That is a desire that's been placed in you by your heavenly Father that is a great thing. Is God calling me? Number two, it probably means you don't want to proceed unless God makes it clear that he wants you to do this thing. Like, uh, is God calling me? Like, or, or, or am I just going out on my own? Am I just doing what I think is best? Those are two possibilities, two probable things that are going on when you ask the question, is God calling me? There's so many ways we can define a call from God, so let's simply define it for our conversation today. A call of God is a direct appointing to fulfill a task. God has said, you, I want you to do this thing. But God also calls us to be something. I have called you to be this. Um, and so those are the kind of, the, that's the direction we're going when we talk about the call of God. So you might have these type of questions going on. Has God revealed that he has a plan for me to be involved in his kingdom? I hear all the time, God's kingdom on this earth. We should be all about God's kingdom has God revealed what my part in building his kingdom would be? Or, or maybe you ask this question, has, has my heart been given new information or new responsibility? H have I be, been made aware that, that God has a plan for me? You might say something like this, my heart has been made sharply aware of the need of this need in, in life or in ministry. I, I'm just, it's all I think about now. It's, it's something I'm really passionate about now. Or maybe my heart feels a strong responsibility to care for or love this person or this group of people. This is how we kind of 
hear and sense the call of God in our lives. So this is what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn three things. I'm going to tell you before I even teach you anything from the Word, we're going to learn three things. Number one, you are allowed to experience a call from God. You have every right to experience a call from God. You probably have been called by God already. And you may have forgotten it. You might have ignored it. Or you may feel like you've been disqualified from it. But God still loves you, and he will continue to call you. Isn't that cool? So we have a promise uh, for, of the day. So this is just our promise of the day. It's Romans eleven twenty nine, and it says, The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Isn't that a great promise? That's our promise. I want you guys to grab onto that. And I want you to remember it because when we deal with the call of God, there's a lot of guilt and shame when we fail to measure up to it. But I want you to remember this is in the Bible and this is a serious promise for you. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. All right? Number two, the second thing we're going to learn today is that if you've been called, which you probably have, God will provide all that you need to accomplish what he's called you to do. Okay? Have you ever heard the term, God's commands are his enablements? Some really famous person said that at one time, and I didn't bother to find out who. But I've heard it a lot of times, so now it's just public domain. Uh, God's commands are his enablements. It is very true. We're going to talk about God's grace providing what we need to do, what he's called us to do. Number three, the third thing we're going to learn today, is that you will only ever be called to do what God wants you to do. In other words, it's never going to be something sinful. It's never going to be something selfish. It is only going to be according to the name of Jesus or according to the character of Jesus. It's only going to be something that Jesus would agree to if he was in your shoes. It's always going to be according to his character. So, for example, God is not going to call you to have an affair. That, does that make sense? God has called me to just cheat on my wife with this. No, never, ever in a million years. That is not God's will. He's not calling you to do that. Or, or God has called me to sell drugs. It's just my calling and my gift. Not going to work. Or God has called me to kill my baby. Or God has called me to do this, that, or the other. I mean, there's so many things that we can point to and say, that is absolutely not what God is calling you to do. Someone might be calling you to do that. But it's not God. It's not Jesus. So we will talk about that at the end. It has to be according to his will. So our text today, Exodus 31, verses 1 through 11, we're going to learn about Bezel... I can't say his name. I thought I would be able to say his name. Bezalel. Bezalel. There we go. Bezalel and Aholiab. If you're looking for names, ideas for your kids, <laughs> these ones are awesome. We'll see. Bazeliel, Bazeliel. Okay, I'm terrible at saying that name. So let's, uh, let's begin reading about these two guys. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, 
in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works in to work in gold in silver in bronze in cutting jewels for setting in carving wood to do all work in or to do work in all manner of workmanship okay so in this text we see that a workman is appointed and equipped to do the work that God has chosen. Let me say that again, just to summarize what it's saying. God has chosen a workman. He's appointed him and equipped him to do the work that God has chosen. Okay? So because the Bible is God's holy word and nothing is meaningless, we are going to look at these names Uh, more in depth, kind of like we do all the time, and see what God might be trying to communicate about his beloved son. Okay, so we always search for Christ on every page in scripture, and let's look at what, uh, let's look at who is the person, the workman that God calls. What is his identity? And in the Bible, someone's identity is given in their name, especially in the Old Testament. So the identity of this Bezalel is very interesting. In Hebrew, Bezalel means in the shadow of God. So that means you're so near to God that I'm protected by him and I am in fellowship with him. That's what that name means, okay? And this could only point to Jesus. In In John chapter 1, verse 8, it says that no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, that's that same idea, like under the shadow of his wing, he has declared him. So the shadow of his wings is a common phrase that we see in in the Psalms and in the book of Isaiah. And um, if we are to be used by God, if we want to be chosen as a workman, that is serving God like Jesus, what we need is to have this same type of focus on fellowship with God first. Jesus was in the bosom of the Father first before he came to do ministry. And it's the same with every single one of us. If you want to be used by God to do the things he's called you to do, we have to invest in fellowship with him. Coming into his presence enjoying a relationship with him is always more important than going out and doing stuff for God, okay? So that word right there, Bezalel, in the shadow of God, it, it, it helps us remember what Jesus was and then how we can also be used by God. The second, he's the son of Uri or Yuri, whatever you want to call it, okay? Um, this word means... Does anyone have a guess what this word means? We studied the Urim and the Thummim. You guys remember that? Urim is a plural of the same word, Uri, which means light. Okay, Those words were lights and the, and the perfections is what we studied way back uh, a few months ago. So this word Uri means light. And as we all know, Jesus is light, right? Not too hard. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If anyone follows me, he will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 1 John 1, 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
and Hebrews 1.3. Jesus, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, had by himself purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So if we want to be a workman used by God, we must walk in his light, being filled with his light. That is another term meaning consistent fellowship with God, agreement with God, seeing things the way God sees them in his light. Does that make sense? So it points to Jesus, but it also shows us what will make a successful workman that God calls. We want to serve God? Okay, fellowship with God. Walk in his light. These are what God is looking for. The next father, he said, he was the son of her. That's not H-E-R, uh, which would be kind of funny. He's the son of her, but he's the son of her, like Ben-Hur, right? Uh, her, H-U-R, is a Hebrew word that means free or liberty. And what this sh- spoke to me is that Jesus voluntarily does the work that God sent him to do. Hebrews 10.9, Jesus said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. Jesus said, I, am, I have come, and all I want to do is what God has sent me to do. If you guys want some homework this week, find a concordance and look up the word sent in the book of John. Just, just Google sent in John, or Google Strong's it, or whatever you want to use. Um, and, and, and just look, it's amazing. It's like almost every chapter, this word sent is used, sometimes many times in a chapter. And then we'll see, you'll see at the very end of all these, I've been sent, I've been sent, I've been sent, I've been sent. At the very end of the book of John, he says, as I have been sent, so I send you. We do his will. It's amazing. So if words be used by God, we must truly surrender our will to his. We will never be forced to do his will. He will show us his will, but we are always free to ignore it and go our way and not be used by God's kingdom. You see, if you're going to be a workman for God, if you want to be called, if you want to experience the call, you have to be willing to do his will. You have to surrender to, I may not like what I'm called to. I may not be excited about it. But if I want to be used by God, it's about him and it's not about me. Which leads us right to the next name. He was from the tribe of Judah. And the tribe of Judah, the word Judah means praise. Praise. All that Jesus did brought praise to God. Jesus never sought attention for himself, but he served the worst of people, and he loved when it didn't benefit him at all, only so that his father could see it and be glorified. People didn't walk around singing Jesus' praises all the time, but the father who saw everything Jesus did, the father ripped open heaven twice, to praise Jesus, to say how much he loved Christ. Our Father sees what's in secret, and a life that praises God in secret, that's what a real workman, that's the character of a real workman. 
a life that praises God in secret and in the open. Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus kind of is talking about this, and he says, do your charitable deeds in secret that your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. That's a form of praise, doing charitable deeds, right? Then he goes on in verse 6, he says, but you, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So prayer is another way we can praise him, right? And then he goes on in verse 18, so do not appear to men to be fasting, but what? But to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. Do you, are, you, are you getting the idea? Praise, a life of praise, is not about being the person who stands up and sings the loudest in church. And it's not about the person who gets all the credit for preaching or doing all the good things. A life of praise is in secret. What God sees and what is going on in your heart. So how do we become that? Philippians chapter 1 verse 11 says, We can be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Jesus wants to produce this fruitful life because he likes to come and eat this fruit. He likes to partake in it. He likes to enjoy what he's produced in you in secret. He enjoys it, and he, it praises God when we are fruitful in our hearts, and he will come, and he will see it. He will enjoy it. He will be blessed by what he produces in us. And look what it says, the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. It is a, the life that Jesus is looking for is the life that is his life flowing through someone. If we want to be a workman called by God to do something for him, he's not looking for you to be some amazing person. He's looking for someone who has emptied themselves and now his life has filled them. They read the word, they believe it, they invite Jesus in. That is the person that is the most fruitful in God's economy, okay? He produces the fruits of righteousness by Jesus Christ. And then uh, look what, back in our text in Exodus. It says, I filled him, this guy Bezalel, with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. And this section makes us think of Jesus yet again. Okay, because in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, it's a prophecy of Jesus, and it says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. And who was Jesse? He was David's father, right? So from the stem of Jesse, what's, what, what Jesse produced was David, and, and the Bible says that Jesus was the son of David. He descended from David. So a branch shall grow out of his roots. That's Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So we have Jesus. He was the workman that this Bezalel foreshadows. He's the workman that we can pattern ourselves after. And honestly, we can be filled with his very life. He is 
this workman. And how did Jesus become such a wonderful workman? He says, by the Spirit. By the Spirit. And what does Jesus just happen to offer you so that you can serve him? The Holy Spirit, right? It's not difficult. Jesus says, I was strengthened by the Spirit. You can be too. I was filled by the Spirit. You can be too. What an amazing, amazing thing we see here. And then look, at it describes um, what this workman would be equipped to do in in uh, Exodus 31, to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and in, in working in all manner of workmanship. So as we're seeing Jesus being illustrated by this workman, that we've seen that all of these different metals and materials have been talked about before, right? We've talked about gold. We've seen that this is... Um, that. Jesus is skilled to work in divine things. Gold speaks of divine things. So Jesus glorifies God. Jesus works in divine things. Silver is the metal of redemption. Jesus took on the task of redeeming us with his blood. He knows how to work with silver. Brass is judgment. Jesus is the only one qualified to judge. So he judged our sin to be evil. Then he took the penalty demanded by his judgment and he took it in his love. We see here cutting jewels, another very simple thing. Uh, This is like the jewels and it refers back to the jewels that were put on the breastplate of the high priest. And that was talking about, here, that was talking about the people of God. These jewels, each were individual, and they spoke of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that is talking about us. Jesus is skilled in working with us. He knows what he's doing, and he sees us as valuable like these jewels. It's amazing. Ephesians 2.10 said, for we are his workmanship. (gasps) That's like we're talking about the workman, and he says here, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God loves to use you, and he's okay forming you and getting you ready for the purpose that he's called you for. We are called living stones in 1 Peter 2.5. Again, another term of these rocks or stones being carved by Jesus. And so it goes on, and, and back in our text, he says, and I, indeed I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahasimach, I'm not even going to try, of the tribe of Dan. Man, these are two hard ones. I even said them a bunch of times this week to no avail. So because no one person could ever picture the perfect man, Jesus, we are given another man with different attributes that also point to Christ. We have, we have Noah and Enoch and Seth, and, and going on we have, we have Abraham and we have Jacob and we have uh, you know, uh, all these different people that, that picture Christ in the Old Testament all through different aspects of Christ's character because Jesus could never be pictured by one. He's too full, he's too amazing, he's too glorious. So this guy is another guy, and, and his name means, I'm not even going to say it again, Aholiab, uh, I just said it again, whatever, uh, means tent of the Father. 
tent of the Father. And this points us back to Christ very easily. In John chapter 1, it says Jesus was the Word, and then he became a man, and he tabernacled or tented among us. He lived and dwelt among us. Another point to Jesus. Number the second, uh, he was the son of that other guy, which means brother of support. Jesus was called our brother, and he called us his brothers and sisters. He, he is so glorious that he could be like, he could say, I am God and you all must worship me. But he comes down to our level and he even bows before us and he washed his disciples' feet, showing that he, in his humility, would serve. And that is such a wonderful um, attribute that this guy, that I can't pronounce his name, is foreshadowing Christ. He's being used by God. And it says here, it goes on in our text, I I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Nothing was left for men to figure out by themselves or to do in their own strength. That God has been giving this plan for this tabernacle. We've been hearing it for weeks and weeks and weeks, but it was just 40 days on the mountain that Moses was, was receiving these instructions And God is saying here, you don't have to figure out anything. I am going to do everything. I'm going to provide everything needed, and I'm going to show you exactly what to do. I have a very specific plan. If we feel like something in God's kingdom depends on us and our sufficiency, we are doing it wrong. God's kingdom is not built by man's abilities. There is no self in serving the Lord. There's no I in team, right? Well, there's no I in serving God. Whatever. We see that the flesh profits nothing, Paul says. God is not in the business of recruiting more employees. He is rather developing sons and daughters who will live by his spirit and he will give his spirit to anyone who asks. Anyone who will come and say, you know what, I see your your kingdom, I see your plans, and I want to be a part of it. God says, great, you're invited. I'm going to call you into that. But know a couple things. Number one, you can't do it yourself. And number two, I will give you what you need. But I have the plan, and it has to go according to my plan. He goes on here in our text to list the, the different instruments and, and, and parts of, it says the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that's on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the tabernacle and its utensils, the pure gold lampstands with its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with its utensils, the laver in its base, the garments of the ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priests, and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place. And then he adds again, according to all I have commanded you, they shall do. So again, we see there is no need to recruit people to do God's kingdom work. There's no need. There's no need to devise our own ways or plans 
when God has determined and already set what his will is, he's already called the people that he needs. It does not depend on us. It is 100% his work. He has the plan. And what do all of these different instruments and all of these different pieces of furniture, what do they all point to? Someone say Jesus. Yes, thank you. It was all Jesus. The reason you can't recruit, okay, the reason you can't try to do it in your own strength is because God has already given his man for the job. It's Jesus. He is the man for the job. He is all that matters. He is all in all. He is Lord and King and servant and brother and worker and sacrifice. He did it already. When I think I have to come up with a plan to save Denver, or when I think I have to come up with a plan to do the thing God has called me to do, I am rejecting the sufficiency of Christ saying, Jesus, you are the plan. I am your humble servant. Just tell me what you want me to do. Show me in the scriptures what your plan is. Keep me from trusting in my own brain. Even though I think I got a brilliant plan, God, it's not about me. I want to do according to your plan. I want to do according to your will. So, now we're going to look at the application to us. What does this mean to us today? Um, you know, we, we've, did, we've done this study, we've looked at our text, and we've looked for Jesus in this text. And we've seen how this text points to Jesus and all the names and, and, the, and the way God is working. It points to the sufficiency of Jesus, and that's the right thing to do. You point to Christ's sufficiency, and then you ask, what does it mean for me? Am I... Is there a sin in my life that I'm doing it the wrong way? And so we're going to look at the application to us. We're going to go back to those three lessons I said we would talk about, and we're going to fill them out. Number one, uh, God has called you, period. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use this liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love, serve one another. So we have been called to serve one another. Period. Have I been called? That's a good question to ask. Have I been called? How about this question? Do I ignore God's call because I'm too interested in the the self-life that Satan has called me to. God's not the only one calling you. Satan has called us to live self-sufficient, self-focused, selfish lives. He's been doing that ever since he told Adam and Eve, you don't need God, you just need self. That's what that was all about, right? So, Satan calls us to live a self-life. Have I ignored God's call because I'm so listening to Satan? Oh, I hope not. 
Have I considered how far God has called me? Or on other hand, have I cut short the calling of God and said, well, I've served God a little bit. That must be all that there is? That must maybe... I, I know I heard God's voice and I went down a few steps, but have I gone all the way? Hmm. Have I asked him to keep revealing his will to me? Or was that yesterday? God told me what to do yesterday. It was awesome. You should have seen it. Well, what did he tell you today? What did he reveal to you today? I don't know. I didn't ask. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Have I obeyed the first steps of my calling? God called me to do this thing, but I haven't done it. What's God going to call me to do today? Probably the same thing that you didn't do yesterday because he's called you and he's invited you, but take those steps. He's called you for a very important thing. Have I forgotten my calling? I've not been malicious about it. I just have been busy. I've just forgotten about it. Okay. That's a good question to ask. Have I forgotten about it? What do you think we should do? Go back to him. Say, Lord, remind me. Read his scriptures. Search his heart until you get it back and you remember and he speaks to you in your heart. Okay, so number one was you are allowed to experience a call from God. You are allowed to have this experience. You have been called. You probably, you for sure have been called by God and you may have forgotten or ignored it or you may have even felt like you were disqualified. And, and that's a very serious issue. God still loves you and he will continue to call you because what was our promise of the day? The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. You have not been disqualified from your calling, what God has called you to do. God can and will forgive you. His forgiveness is real and totally effective. And if we continue, if, excuse me, if we confess our sin to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So number one was God has called you and your sin doesn't ruin it. Your sin doesn't ruin it. I feel like that's important for someone in here. Probably me, because I'm a sinful guy. Number two, God equips his servants with power and ability. We saw that with, this, with these workmen, God gave them his spirit. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So the Spirit is what God uses to make us sufficient. Going to Bible school, going to church cannot give the abilities that the workman of God needs, period. Oh, I would serve God, but I don't have time to go back to Bible college. That's not where you get it anyway. I would serve God, but I just can't make it to church that often, or I really don't like church, or that's not where you get these abilities anyway. 
Studying doesn't give you these abilities. Working doesn't give you these abilities. Serving doesn't develop these abilities anymore. The abilities of God are only gifts of the Spirit. And who does he give his Spirit to? Someone who was here last week. Whoever asks. Whoever would just humble themselves and say, I would like that. I need that. That is who he gives his spirit to. Human wisdom is of no value in serving God. No value. He, because he's a jealous God and he will not share his glory with another. So we got to ask ourselves, do I seek God's spirit for power and ability to serve him? Or do I seek sufficiency from other sources? In other words, am, do I, am I going to church to get sufficient? Am I studying to get sufficient? Am I, am I working hard? Am I trying hard? Am I trying to learn the strategies and how to talk with people and how to manipulate people? What is it that I really am doing? Am I doing something or am I asking for the Holy Spirit? Those are two very different ways. So the second lesson was, if you've been called, then God will provide all that you need to accomplish his will. God's commands are his enablements by grace. God will enable us by grace. So number three, the last thing that we learn today is that God's will is the only thing that matters. What I want or the way I think things should be done are of no importance. God demands humility and faith in him and wisdom prove this. Do nothing except what he tells you in the word and you will be used. Do nothing except what he tells you in the word and you will be used. Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus, in human wisdom, was like, I don't want to do this going to the cross thing. But he surrendered all human wisdom before his father and said, not what I will, but what you will be done. So our third lesson, you will only ever be called to do what God wants you to do. He'll never call you to do something sinful or selfish. It will always be according to the name of Christ, which means according to his character, which means you, you can only be called to do just something that Jesus would agree with. Okay, so let's say that we have failed to do his will. Let's say... Let's just pretend that we all are feeling a little bit guilty right now. Man, I've been called by the Lord, and I really haven't been faithful in that calling. What do we do? What do we do now? We go back to number one. You are still called. I don't care how you feel today. You are still called. He still loves you. He still will forgive you. And so listen to the call. What is it that God has put in your heart that you're so passionate about, that, that you see lines up with his kingdom and, 
and you're like, man, I, I just love those people. I, I feel a responsibility for this. What is that thing for his kingdom? Seek Number two was seek his grace for the power to accomplish that thing. Okay, I got to develop a relationship with him where I'm receiving power from him. And number three, step forward to do his will, not our will. Ah, but if I, if I listen to the call, I'm not going to be able to do my thing. I'm not going to be able to watch my show. I'm not going to be able to have money to go do this vacation I wanted to do. I'm not going to, if I step forward to do his will, what about my will? And God says, what about it? If you don't want to be my workman, don't be my workman. I'm still calling you, and I love you, but I'm not going to force you to be my workman. I'm not going to force you to serve me and partner with me. What has God called you to do? I can't answer that question. I can't look at your life and tell you what your heart has been moved by God in. Maybe you're going to plant a church someday. Maybe you're, you're called to, to love a certain group of people or, or people here at our church or some, I don't know what it could be with you. But I know there's something. And, and what's really crazy is that I got, uh, I, I had prepared this and I was done with it, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday in the mail, I got this book randomly sent to me called, Is God Calling Me? So, um, I'm going to give this to, to the person that God wanted it to go to. So, raise your hand if you're the person that you want this book. Okay, you get the book. All right, so we'll be looking for when God sends you to Africa or whatever. <laughs> All right, so, God's called you. Seek his, word for, or seek his power and grace and look for his will and step forward to do his will, sacrificing our own will for his will, okay? Pretty simple lessons, I think. Um, would you all stand with me? We're going to sing some songs, and we, this is our time, our time to respond to what God has spoken to us in his word. And so for some of us, it might be, wow, forgive me for really dropping the ball, uh, for trying to do your will in my own strength, for not even caring about your will. And, and Lord, I want to be used to do your will. And so as we come up and as you take communion, remember that his body was broken so he could forgive you. That's, that's a beautiful thing. And his blood was poured out to offer you New life, new, fresh relationship with God. And it's a good day to remember that you've been called and to say, I'm going to step forward to do God's will in my life by his strength alone. You guys with me? Okay. During this time, if you feel that you need to pray for someone, just come up to them and lay your hands on their shoulder and say, can I pray for you? What can I pray for you about? Let's, let's, fellow, let's truly fellowship with one another during this time. We have time. There's no rush. That was a short Bible study. And uh, just kidding. Um, 
But this is a time that's very, very important to us. If church is just coming and listening to me talk for 45 minutes, woe unto us because that's lame. Church is not listening to me. Church is that we deal with God and then we come along each other and we pray for each other and we, we encourage each other in Christ and we love on each other. Can you guys do that with me? That's his will, so let's get on it, all right? Uh, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you repeat your call when we have forgotten it, that you restore us when we have fallen, that you are gracious and kind. And Father, we want to, um, we want to have your life fill us up. And so um, we want to turn our backs on our own wisdom, our own life, And we want to follow you alone because those who follow you are filled with your very light. And we thank you for that. God, I'm sorry for so many things that have drowned out your will in my own life. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind and and renew my heart and keep it soft for what you have and, and what your kingdom is. I want to be sensitive to you. So, Lord, we just collectively repent and give you our lives fresh and new. We want to hear that call. We want to we believe it and step forward in faith and in your power, Jesus. Amen.